Welcome to Consilience, an African science podcast, brought to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Consilience is a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting reason, skepticism, and a scientific worldview in Africa and beyond. Welcome to Consilience. Today is August 22nd, 2012, and I'm Owen Swart. Joining me today are Angela Meaden. Hello, everyone. And Michael Meaden. Good evening. All right, well, let's start with teaching Angela to appreciate history. Today, three months ago, something of vital importance happened, oh. which Angela does care about. Our baby was born. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Yay. Okay. Well, also, in, in uh, teaching Angela to appreciate history. No, that's not important. We can just move on now. Oh. Well, it is, in, it is vaguely interesting. Okay, that's fine. And that Go is in the year 565, uh, was the first recorded sighting of a monster in Loch Ness. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So a Christian, really? Hmm? really? Apparently. So a, a Christian saint named Columba was doing a missionary work in the land of the Picts, which surrounded Loch Ness at the time. Well, but, you know, that's who, who I trust with my eyewitness testimony, Christian saints. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they're reliable. Well, he didn't just see it. He didn't just see the Loch Ness monster. He used his powerful Jesus sorcery to battle the fucking thing. <laughs> So the, the, that's awesome. Uh, he, the, the thing was coming right at him, and he muttered some magic words in Latin and like waved his hands, and then the thing stopped chasing his men. It turned around and ran the fuck away, like a boss. I know, right? Uh, well, technically, it was it was in the river nest, not in the loch itself, but you know, close enough. And and we know it's true because um, it was the events were recorded verbatim by uh, Saint Saint Adamnan a hundred years later. Hang on a second. <laughs> Which one of the guys lived a hundred years to tell this other saint? Oh, none of them. No. Um, he just, he just so wrote he, it. he just basically made that shit up. Well, it took it took him took him a hundred years, or it took somebody a hundred years to you know, to find the time to write it down. And, wow. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it's it's obviously it's it's a priori extremely likely that someone can use Jesus magic to chase a pleosaur away. And yeah. therefore, the story is likely, and therefore, it must be true. Or, or more likely, it was just an otter that was <laughs> harassing somebody, and he chased it away. But, you know, and then, over the century, it turned into a sea monster <laughs> and Jesus sorcery. Well, that's how these things happen. Yeah. Oh, exactly. You know, stories get embellished. Stories get embellished. And yeah. before you know it, you've got the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. Or the Hadiths. Yes, that's true. Or Jesus. Or yeah. Jesus. I mean, it's a bit like... Scientologists mm. in the year 2350, mm. and all their information comes from the year 2050. Right. 50, 100 years after Elrond died. Yeah, yeah. And using that as, oh, Elrond could shoot ships out of the sky with his eyes or some bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which he could do, right? Yeah, yeah of course he can. <laughs> you said it, so it must be true. Yeah, it must be true. Of course. You someone listening here, to this podcast in the year 2350 believes that shit now. <laughs> <laughs> Skepticism? <laughs> what? then? <laughs> All right. Well, shall we move on to our updates? So, our update this week is about the Curiosity Rover. Cool. Yay. It's doing cool things. So, it's been having a busy week. Um, it finished its stationary systems check and made sure that it did, in fact, land safely about two weeks after it had landed. Why is NASA so damn slow? 
Well, because it's, because it's expensive, yeah. it takes a long time to get there, and they mm. want to make sure everything's okay before yeah. they start driving. And because it's not solar-powered, they can take their time. It's like mm. when you do your driver's license test, and you have to do that 57-point check where you like check the windscreen wipers, <laughs> look at your car. That's what they're doing. They're, yeah. they're yeah. doing the driver's license yeah. check. Before you turn left. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Defensive driving at its best. Never look, at, uh, look, look in front of you. <laughs> Keep looking behind you for in case some shit happens. <laughs> shit happens always when you least expect it. And it's obviously <laughs> going to happen to your left. Yeah, exactly. It's obvious that it would happen in front of you. So there's no point looking there. It's good muscle exercise in your neck. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so yeah that's what they're doing. So, so they've done that thing. They they stretched out Curiosity's arm because it's got this giant robot arm that reaches out and you know, to like kill aliens with, and it's it's set its laser to vaporize and vaporized a nearby rock. What's a rock? Oh no, right? And it just like vaporized that shit. Awesome. And it it's currently investigating its immediate surroundings. It's got an onboard weather station. It's got a fucking weather station on board. That and is broken, kind of. Is it broken? Well, part of it is broken. Oh. So. It's, it's um, I forget what the technical term for a wind meter is. It's a uh, yeah anemometer. Can't remember. Anyway, oh, no, I'm not it's, on the it's 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 <laughs> window it's window windometer, mm-hmm. wind, window meter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's wind measurement thingies. Two of them broke. Oh, crap. So it can still tell the speed that mm-hmm. the wind is blowing at. Right. But not the direction. Well, there's ambiguity with oh, respect. Oh, so. It's quantum wind analysis. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right then. So, so, so two of them broken. There's one still working, and as a result, there's a bit of a problem. Oh, okay. Well, as long as it's quantum, then it's okay. Well, oh, and uh, the other big thing is that it's going to start moving tomorrow. Cool. It's already started moving. Yes, yeah. They, they tested, tested its they, wheels. Yeah, they, they wiggled its wheels back and forth, and then tomorrow. No, it drove. I, I, this afternoon, I was. I saw oh, really? a picture. I saw a picture of nice. its tracks. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So our definition of tomorrow and the other people's it's definition. It's Mars of tomorrow. tomorrow, probably. Right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good news. So it's doing things. Awesome. Yay, Yay curiosity. Finally. I, I read somewhere that it has um, the, the letters JPL spelled out in Morse code in the track of its tires. Cool. I know, right? How awesome is that? It's like. They should Geek totally win. use the laser to write JPL on a rock. They should. I want to write. I wonder if didn't they say something about being able to, like, uh, like, like secure some time to remote control the rover, like for school kids and stuff. I wonder if, you could, oh, if they'll let you yeah. use the ro- the laser to write your name in a Mars rock. I doubt it. <laughs> they might hand you the joystick. They probably wouldn't give you the laser button. But why not? Um, I think we should hack it. I think so too. <laughs> Didn't somebody try to do that? Well, no, there was a. Well, there were a couple of stories that it might be possible, but uh, you'd need so much equipment. Oh, I see. You'd have to be China oh, okay. or Russia to do it. All right, then shall we move on to our news? Yeah, let's. All right, so our first news story is depressing. A, yeah, it's not a good one. Um, you may have seen in the the regular news in the past week or so that a really bad thing happened uh, last week, and that was at uh, a platinum mine, Lundman. Um There was a, a massacre. Uh, there was a, a clash between um, striking mine workers and police. And it's actually the name of the mine is Maricana, yeah. and the company that owns it is Lundman. That's right, yes. Um, something like, I think it was 34 miners were killed in the shootout. 34 miners were killed, 100 um, people were Shot seventy yeah. something were seventy something were injured. Yeah, so it was it was really bad. Um, 
but there's been uh, some some other dodgy stuff that's that's arisen after the fact. And and one of the interesting things about it was how reportedly some of the strikers ran straight towards the cops as as they were being shot at under a hail of fire. So if you haven't seen the video, it's quite, it's it's pretty hectic. So yeah. these the deal with the strikers. So a bit of a background is that these rock drill operators at Lonman. There's a, a bunch of union rivalry between two rival unions, and the one union promised the workers that they'll get 12,500 rand salary, um, and then couldn't deliver on it. And but the guys were like, "We want our 12,500 rand, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a lot. It's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it really is a lot of money. It is. I could use that. <clears throat> and um, anyway, so so these guys are basically demanding that amount of money, and they. Killed, what is it, about 10 people in clashes, including two yeah. police officers, yeah. before then hacked guys to death with machete, machetes, mm. um, used violence, threats of violence against other workers, etc., etc. And so the police decided to intervene and disperse the workers from a little hill they w- were occupying for the last couple of weeks. Mm. Um, and then they charged down at the police at one point, and the cops killed 34 of them. Yeah, so, so cops armed with, must have been R4 rifles, right? Pistols, on, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah, fully, on, fully armed police officers, and they're running at them with big knives. There um, was and one, guns. Th- yeah, yeah, there's actually video footage of one guy shooting at okay, the Okay, so the, some of them had guns, but most of them didn't. They were running at, at them with machetes. Yeah, right. they had they had um, spears yeah, and, yeah. and knob carries, uh, mm. like a, a big stick. Traditional machetes. weapons, yeah. Um, they certainly were outpowered. Oh yes, yeah. They were. They were way. Uh, I mean, they were not a threat. No. Well, I wouldn't go that. I mean, they had guns and they were shooting at the cops. There yeah. was one guy with a gun. Uh, really? They, well, one guy that we know on of, video. No, that I mean, we know of. They retrieved lots of guns oh, okay. from, from the I scene. I haven't heard about that. I heard of one gun was retrieved. Well, uh, all of that stuff aside, there's a, a skeptical angle here, and. Um, that is that, that some eyewitness reports, including some of the cops, are suggesting that um, the, uh, that some of the miners underwent a ritual with a Sankoma on the hilltop in which they were administered muti, which is kind of a traditional enchantment spell medicine thing, which was supposed to have made them uh, invulnerable. Uh-huh. And they, mm-hmm. they ran at the cops like that because they believed that they were bulletproof. Yep. Um, so, so, yeah, the this, this story is supported by police surveillance because they were flying over the, the hilltop in helicopters and, and they observed what appeared to be a, a, a traditional ritual happening. Um, yeah, and, and although a lot of the eyewitness testimony is, is sketchy and, and quite divergent, some people say that there absolutely was nothing like it and other people saying absolutely there was this thing happening. Um, it, it's not unprecedented that, that this kind of muti has been used in the past, so it, it, it's not all that much of a stretch really to believe that it happened here. I mean, at the very least, it's an eminently testable hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. Right. Have this little thing done. Right. Run at someone with a gun and then see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, we've already, we've had that test done. Mm. And we've seen the results. And we've already seen the special pleading because there have been statements in the press that the people who died had done something to weaken the effect of the spell Mm. that Mm. was cast on them. Yeah, exactly. Classic. Special pleading, yeah. exactly. And the ones who uh, who survived, obviously, they did it right because they yep. are, are obviously bulletproof. And uh, you know, just uh, for the those of us who care, not me, mm. um, women aren't allowed on the mountaintop where they were doing the ceremony. That's true because yeah. they believe that women will weaken the spell. Well, that's true. 
Yeah. Women would be weak in this film. Men are stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, you're right, Mike, it is, it is testable. Not only that, but also um, by, by uh, looking at the bodies of, of those who've been killed. You could tell if somebody's had this thing administered. Apparently the way it's done is the Sangoma will make small cuts with a razor blade in their skin and then stuff is rubbed into the wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a you know, basic post-mortem autopsy would reveal whether or not this has happened. Beautiful illustration of where's the harm. I mean, mm-hmm. these, these people clearly... I mean... There's not much other reason to run at a line of heavily yeah, the, armed police officers. There right, has to have with been a gun, something right, in their brains. I mean, there was a hundred guys essentially unarmed, although there is some dispute about that, mm. not only between us, but, you know, everyone saying what was the threat to the police. Mm. And hundreds of police officers heavily armed, heavily armored with trucks and Tear uh-huh. gas and I'm, not, yeah. and I'm not sure that's an accurate... The police were heavily outnumbered. There were 4,000 workers mm. and about 400 police officers. In oh, total. Yeah. Sure. But not in this incident. And in this incident, we only see a small group. And we know that not all of the miners were in one place. We know that not all of the police were in one place because you can see separate areas. You can see things happening in other places. So not sure. everyone was at one place. It wasn't... 4,000 people charging a couple of hundred cops in this one incident. Mm, sure. Okay, I mean, they were by far the lesser force. And the police, goodness knows, you can't blame them, but they were authorized to use whatever force necessary. Yeah, I'm not sure that's right. They were told to do what you need to do. Well, the, you, if you look at the videos, you can hear the officers yelling in the background, like the superiors yelling, cease fire. Yeah. Wow. Really? And they keep shooting. Well, that doesn't surprise me either, given the, the level of training that our local cops receive. I don't know. I don't think that's fair. They didn't seem to be untrained. They well, were quite uh, disciplined. Uh, I, don't know. I don't think so. I, I think there's a there's an atmosphere of lack of discipline in the SAPS. I mean, if, if you look at the, the minister, is the minister of the police or, or the, or the major, Minist- sergeant, Minist- sergeant major general of the police giving advising them to shoot first, ask questions Maria later? No, 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 that uh, was... Um, he was the... Chief of the police. That's the one, yeah. But that was. Not yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it might might have been. Oh, I don't know. We've no, had it like wasn't. Five or six in the last no, it's the guy with an S. What's his name? The the one with the dodgy tender for the buildings mm. in Pretoria, mm. who's facing all that stuff. And not him. Celebi. No, no, after Celebi. After. <laughs> The corrupt one after the, yeah. the corrupt so, one after that. Yeah, corrupt so so clear, clearly we have a pattern of, of corrupt and incompetent people in the higher echelons of the police. And if they're that corrupt and incompetent in the higher echelons, can we really expect them to be more competent in the in the lower ranks? Uh, and, and it's not really relevant, but I really think that was deeply incompetent policing. Yeah. Deeply. You don't I don't I don't know I don't know the whole situation. I mean we went there. Yeah, all I, I can't pretend to, to say what uh, what caused the whole thing, but clearly, um, I mean, if, if the Sangoma story is true, then it seems to me that at least that the that the mine workers were preparing for a battle. They were expecting to clash with the cops, and they would they were donning their imaginary invisible armor. They sure do look militant yeah. in some of the photos that I've seen of before that event. Mm, they, mm. they sure were. I mean, they were killing each other beforehand. Who right, knows? exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, really bad thing happened, and at least some of the casualties were as a result of stupidity on behalf of various people. And, uh, yeah, Ma- magical thinking will kill you. Yeah. And it calls a national tr- national tragedy. Yeah. Mm. This is what it is. Oh, okay, so moving from one tragedy to another. Uh, something about torturing children? 
Oh, well, God. well, that's uh, that, that's a very tendentious way of putting it that the, <laughs> that the Telegraph used. Right. And it's actually a really good article um, by three British, um, two well, three British guys, mm-hmm. uh, two medical doctors, and one um, uh, chaplain. And so the three guys in question are Joe uh, Breeley, Jim. Lynchum and Andy Petros, um, and they're all at the Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, Breeley and Petros are both doctors at the neonatal intensive care unit, and uh, Lynchum is the hospital chaplain, the, mm-hmm. the chief chaplain. And they've written a very interesting article in the Journal of Medical Ethics, essentially arguing that parents who use their religious faith as a justification for continuing with aggressive treatment against medical advice or needlessly harming the children in question. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so I mentioned the Telegraph article. I mean, it's, 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 quite, it's quite amazing. Um, so it's, as I said, it's a very tendentious article written. If you know the Telegraph, it's a very conservative uh, newspaper in the UK. Mm. And... Um, it attracted a lot of attention. At last count, it had 2,346 comments on the Wow. <laughs> and all the most popular comments were um, deleted by mods because apparently <laughs> they were quite vicious and people crying about, you know, persecution and, and whatnot. Uh, yeah. But but I think, I think, I think it's, a, it's a really good arg- argument. What these guys did is they... Um, surveyed three years of end-of-life cases. So they did a systematic review of three years of cases in the neonatal clinic where um, it was like uh, children were about to die or were uh, so sick that they you know, could die at any moment. Mm-hmm. And they reviewed 203 cases. Um, and in 186 of that, um, you know, withdrawal or limitation of invasive therapy was recommended and the parents agreed to it. So it's a baby with an incurable disease and the doctors say, well, there's nothing we can do for the child. The best thing we can possibly do is um, just withhold further aggressive therapy, just do palliative care and let the child die essentially. And as I said, in 186 of the cases they reviewed, the parents agreed to it. But 17 cases, um, is that 17? Yeah. Um, in the 17 remaining cases, uh, there was sort of extended discussion with medical teams. Um, and, you know, even with outside help from, so say if it's a Muslim uh, family, they'd bring in an, an imam from, um, imam, an imam from, a mosque somewhere and come counsel the parents and try to get them to agree that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the best thing to do is to let the child uh, die. Um, but in 11 of those cases, or sorry, in 17 of those cases, that that couldn't, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And in 11 of the 17 that are remaining, the parents invoked explicitly religious claims um, that intensive care should continue. So wow. essentially saying that a miracle could happen at any moment, and therefore we must continue treating the child, um, and there will be divine divine intervention, 
um, and that the medical opinion was overly pessimistic and wrong. Hmm. Um, okay. <clears throat> now, of these cases, five of them were actually in the end resolved by bringing in more people and doing more, mm-hmm. etc. You know, more, even more interventions and so on. But in five of those cases, even after a very extensive process of engagement with religious authorities of various kinds and counseling and and whatnot, like pe- people still were waiting for a miracle. Um, and of those five, four of the children's children eventually died. Mm-hmm. And one survived with profound neurological disabilities. Mm. So, essentially, it's—I mean, it's—it's it, isn't a medical study, so there's, there's no no I can tell you in the end X or some. But but basically, their argument is this is an unethical procedure. This is, it's unethical for parents to continue treatment in these cases. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think that's that's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and uh, what they're essentially arguing, in addition, which is probably the single most, judging from the comments on the Telegraph article, it's essentially the the most um, controversial aspect of this, is that um, there ought to be changes in legislation in the default position of the hospital, such that the parent, the belief of the parents no longer the default go-to option for the treatment of the child. So right. essentially the child has rights and the doctors have responsibilities independent of the belief system the parents might hold. So of course, uh, an infant has no religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Infants are by definition atheists. Too young to have been indoctrinated. Sure, exactly. Um, and therefore the wider society has um, obligations to protect those children from needless suffering, mm. um, including, you know, the, these therapies that have no hope of success, and even if they succeed, results in a life of of pain and suffering, um, and that a much more humane approach would be to just withhold treatment, mm. um, and uh, you, you really go to the Telegraph article. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's it's absolutely amazing the kind of vitriol and and yelling and screaming that goes on in the in the comments. It's, it really is quite I've quite something to comments. behold. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. I can't bear to read comments. People just they they cannot engage in a reasonable discussion. People are, on the internet are just too stupid. Yeah, I mean there are a couple of places you can read comments. The Economist. Yeah, our, our comments are fine <laughs> because they are because our our listeners are awesome. They're fantastic, and the comments they they leave us are always very insightful and well thought out. And we we thoroughly enjoy receiving yes, comments. And we always respond. We always do. Well, look. Sorry, are you finished with your? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> um, you're a father now. Yes. Congratulations. Yay! You understand the connection to a child. Sure. And the nine months of intense waiting and preparation and excitement and your baby is born disabled in some fundamental way, are you going to give up or are you going to try and treat the child? What do you do? It depends. It's like a sunk cost fallacy. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't use those terms. No, of course not. (laughs) But it's not unlike that. So, so, I mean, our our child was in the neonatal uh, clinic. And it is an extremely, 
painful and extremely emotionally wrought experience, mm. of course. But clearly, in cases where a child, the overwhelming medical evidence is that child simply cannot survive, like born with profound deficiencies or like has no heart or I read a anencephaly or I read a blog written by a lady who blogged at was from the minute she found out she was pregnant she started blogging and at twelve weeks they discovered that the baby's brain had not formed properly. It had no forebrain. It was an it was it's not anencephaly. It's high shit. Holoprosencephaly. Mm-hmm. So the brain just doesn't form correctly. There's no differentiation of the two sides. So you have a, okay. a smooth brain like a tennis ball instead of the bumpy split Folded. left and right hemisphere brain that we've got. And the whole way through the pregnancy from 12 weeks this lady is saying we're going to have a miracle. Jesus will save this baby. Oh, we love this baby. God's going to make it happen. And they had the whole shebang, the whole prayer circles and people all over doing things. And she put every ounce of her being into encouraging this baby and she said we know there's going to be a miracle but there were profound profound problems not only was the child's brain not formed but a lot of its internal organs were outside of its body wow. that is unethical i'm sorry so unethical. she carried the baby to term the baby was born without the ability for its heart to pump it couldn't its brain could not tell its body to breathe but she insisted there's going to be a miracle and this baby survived 14 days on intense life support and eventually it died. Eventually they gave up. Now, what do you do? What do you tell a parent like that? Someone who's just for nine months has said this baby's going to be fixed. It's going to happen. In that case, you go to the high court and you get a court order to stop treatment to that baby. Do you have the right to do that? Yes. We have a legal and moral right to do that. Because the parents have no right to impose suffering on a child because of their superstitions. They don't. I'm sorry. Can you say the child is suffering? Yes, of course. If it doesn't have a brain, it, it is incapable of thought, is incapable of feeling, is incapable of breathing it, and its heart it, pumping. It, on it its has own. a med- medulla oblongata. I so don't it can, know about that. It can feel, it can feel pain. You don't require forebrain for that. Okay. Yeah, no, in that case, it can, absolutely. It can still feel pain. Yeah, if the baby is capable of feeling pain, for sure, you are simply torturing it. Mm. If the baby can't feel pain, well, then the ethical argument is different. Yeah. Yes. But I don't think that happens. Mm. Uh, maybe know. it does. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> but it, it's a fraught ethical issue. But honestly, I think the the ethical case is clear that parents cannot be the sole determinants of the fate of their children. Yeah, yeah. Because parents have dumb beliefs. And these dumb beliefs infringe upon the right of the children not to suffer needlessly for no reason. Mm. Like if you're suffering for a reason, you, you, you have cancer and you're going through chemotherapy and it makes you better or gives you a higher chance of surviving mm. by 10%, maybe that's worth it. right? But if a child simply cannot function like this child. There's no reason in the world to think this child could ever have survived. Mm. That child should have been aborted. And and there's also a case for distributed justice here. It's limited medical resources. Mm. The, the child is occupying medical resources or using medical resources to be used in other children. 
can yeah. be far, yeah. far better use of that medical technology or those medical resources. Mm. Yeah, it's a complicated situation. Anyway, that ethics for you. <laughs> well, that's ethics. Wow. All right. <clears throat> so, what's next, guys? Is this suicide? Now we, have a, now we have a story about killing puppies. No, I can't. <laughs> Uh, is it uh, difficult to eat a puppy? No. <laughs> no, we have a story about atheism. So it's, it's baby eating. So there's that. <laughs> Babies wrapped in bacon. So, so this is a, a very quick and, and, and easy one. There, there's a new story that's been doing the rounds that atheism is very quickly uh, on the rise in South Africa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is according to a Win Gallup poll. Uh, which was conducted December last year, so t- 2011, and this uh, this uh, this poll claims to cover 73 percent of the world's population. Wow. But its findings for South Africa, uh, I'm very dubious about that. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway um, its findings f- for South Africa has attracted a lot of attention and a lot of you know sort of media stories and then mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people piling into comments about the new. About the news stories on News 24, for example. <laughs> well, that happens with every story on News 24, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, basically what they claim to have found is that in South Africa, the rate of people claiming to be a religious person dropped from 83% in 2005 to 64% in 2012. Right. Or 2011, given that that's when the, yeah, the, study was. the study was actually performed. But anyway, they don't phrase it that way. So, I mean, that's a massive drop. That's it's a 19% drop. It's huge. And I was immediately skeptical when I saw this. Yeah. Um, I, I Honestly, I thought, BS, 64% of people, that's way too few people who are religious. In fact, there are more Christians mm-hmm. um, than what they claim all religious people are. Well, uh, yeah. Well, uh, my, my first thought was that there's something weird with how they define what is a religious person. Well, I, I'm going to get to that. So, a very good pe- person to read on the story is Jacques Rousseau, mm. who we have interviewed. Yes, we have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who we've interviewed on the show. So uh, our, 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 our friend our Jacques. Good friend Jacques. Who runs the Skeptics in the Pub in Cape Town. You guys should totally go. If you're in Cape Town. Yeah. Otherwise, come to the yeah. other one. Otherwise, otherwise, come to ours. Yeah, don't fly down Cape Town just for that. Well, that you can if you like. Could, yeah. I suppose. Anyway, um, he wrote a column in Daily Maverick basically debunking this poll. Um, and he points out a couple of very important things. The, the first one is the 2001 South African census counted 79.77% of South Africans as being Christian. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I honestly don't think in that time the number has dropped. So, uh, compare 70, or let's call it 80% of people are Christian. Now, this poll claims in 2012, 64% of people are religious. Mm. So, uh, no way is that, uh, no, no way is that true. And, and the census is far more statistically mm. rigorous because they, while they don't count every single lost person in the country, yeah. it's impossible to do that, they have a much, much larger sample size. And as a result of that, their data is far more accurate. Well, I don't know. If, if I was to base it on my own um, uh, anecdotal evidence, in 2001, in that sense, I marked myself as Christian. And now look. Look where we are today. You did it. I did. So I, of the people, 
I was a Christian then. Of the people on this podcast, a third have converted. That's true. I don't know. Maybe my parents put me down as crude. I would have been out of... I don't know. You would anyway. have been in varsity by then. Mm. So, um, the unfortunately, the most recent census conducted by the South African government, the results are only coming out next year, sometime early next year. I believe yeah. it takes them a while to crunch the data and, yeah. and, and I, massage I, it. And probably only counted like five people in that one anyway because everybody <laughs> was dodging the... the <laughs> <laughs> they didn't count me. Fuck well, those guys. Fuck the government. Fuck the man. Well, it doesn't matter. You don't have to count everybody to be accurate. I mean, yeah, you yeah. just take a sample statistic and work out the population statistic from the sample. Mm-hmm. If you've got a big sample, it's fine. Um, so I'll take your word for it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the the other really important point to note here is that only two hundred South Africans were actually surveyed. Mm. Now, two hundred is a really small number. Yeah, that's true. And the the two hundred um, number, it's unclear where it was done. Is it nationally representative? Who knows? Was mm. it done in one city? Was it done in all cities, rural areas? Yeah. And all the all the interviews were done face to face by a tiny organization made up of Zimbabwean marketing professionals. Mm. I looked. Uh, so in the Wingallop. PDF press release thing. They list the people who actually conducted the survey, mm. and I looked them up on LinkedIn, and there are marketing people from Zimbabwe who did this. Mm. Now that's neither here nor there. I don't want to commit ad hominem or anything, but yeah. I, I trust Markano or someone like this to get that right. Whereas yeah. stats is a or, yeah, sure, but so, someone with a bit of a track record, not a tiny company with yeah. a website from 2001. Yeah, 200. Yeah, that's a really small sample. And 200 is a tiny, tiny sample. Cannot would, be considered I mean, representative. I mean, that, that's half my Facebook friends. <laughs> you my, have Facebook friends? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the smallest number of, of followers I have on a social media site. It's my Facebook friends, and it's half of that. Yeah. So it's really not a significant number. And I'd be very surprised if they. If they Included rural areas. Mm. I, yeah, I'm. I'm convinced they probably did it in Joburg, yeah. and maybe Cape Town. Yeah, maybe Durban. Yeah, maybe the, the big malls around Joburg, including Soweto, perhaps. And I mean, there's doubt whether this data even exists in the first place. Mm. Jacques Rousseau emailed the guys in question. Some of them don't exist. Wow. So, <laughs> or can't be found at the company anymore. So, jeez. Uh, yeah, it's it seems really dodgy, but now we come to the point you raised Mm -hmm. and that's about the question the sort of definitions and how you ask questions now unfortunately the thing with survey the thing with surveys you need to understand is that it's really hard to get proper answers out of people Mm. because how you phrase things has very very large consequences for the results i've talked before about the stupid idiot Americans who believe in God but claim to be atheists. Mm. I mean, that's just a, a clear example of the kind of difficulties you're you're dealing with when you're trying to do this kind of thing. And yeah. how you phrase things is really important. And this is the question they asked. Irrespective of whether you attend a place of worship or not, would you say you are a religious person, not a religious pos- person, or a convinced atheist? No. Okay, so if I were to answer that question, I wouldn't call myself a convinced atheist because that, exactly. that would be – so So I would have to say not a religious person, even though I'm pretty much as atheist as you get. I'm on a fucking atheist podcast. Two of them if you count this one. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's it's a really badly worded question, first of all. Yeah. And and anyone who would ask that question in a worldwide survey, I have to think really. They just don't understand what, it re- what religion means. I mean, it's interesting you can be a convinced atheist, but not a convinced religious person. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. But, but also, what is a religious person? Yeah. As Jock points out, which is, I think, a very good point, how about the, the hippies mm. who are like, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Yeah, so they would so call themselves not a religious not, person. Not a religious person, even mm. though they're clearly religious on yeah. any definition of religion. Yeah, I don't consider those sorts of people in the same category as me, religiously No, of course. Speaking. No, yeah. not even close. So you have a very badly worded question with categories that are neither mutually exclusive nor mutually exhaustive or, or nor jointly exhaustive mm. because there are other categories yeah. like atheist instead of uh, a convinced atheist yeah. or agnostic. agnostic or humanist. Or Just <laughs> within the atheist category, there's like five or six subcategories, <laughs> sure. all of which are, <laughs> they're, they're are currently all... in fighting about it. <laughs> they're, they're, they're <laughs> are very long common threads you can read <laughs> just on the question among atheists. And then, of course, religious people themselves are constantly fighting about how you define things and their mm-hmm. schisms and, and etc. Et to et some religious people, nobody else is possibly religious. Right, of course. Of course. You know, I mean, well, if you ask most religious people, then nobody else counts. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, it's a, it's a really small survey with a, a very big margin of error mm. that may or may not exist Conducted by a firm that has no reputation to speak of, um, making very very big claims, making mm. big claims with a really badly designed survey question. Um, so, nah. Unfortunately, I mean, I'd like yeah. to believe this no. is true. I was really excited about it when I heard it. I do uh, just from from my anecdotal experience, which is completely unreliable because I don't know a representative sample of South Africans. Mm. I think the number of atheists have gone up. Yes, probably. If yeah. look at so. m- look at my age group, yeah, I know far more atheists my age group than. But that doesn't mean anything. No. If, if I just look at my it's family, the people who are more willing to say now that they are atheists, whereas twenty years ago they would not have been willing to say so. We don't know this. Well, exactly. I mean, just just yeah, in my sure. family, ten years ago, just about everyone in my family would have identified as Christian. Now, none of us would. Hmm. Good. That's progress. I like to hear. Well, we're not all atheists. I'm. <laughs> I'm the only one of those. But <laughs> one is a Muslim. Oh, well, one of two. But yeah, there has certainly been progress at least. Anyway, so moving on from a. Uh, dodgy survey hmm. to some proper science for once. Yeah. So, um, well, it's paleontology, so not really. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, basically, it's basically just uh, social psychology. <laughs> that, that was a joke. It is, it is, paleoanthropology is proper science. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good science. Yes, Lee Berger. Yeah, so, uh, oh, you said Lee Berger, right, so mm. there you go. Everybody drink. Uh, I'm going to say another one. Australopithecus sediva. Drink. All right, but th- this this story isn't exactly about ACD, but this is about new fossil finds in Kenya that lend support to the idea that there were two separate early Homo species in the Pleistocene, in awesome. addition to the other ones that we already know about. So until recently, there's been some controversy surrounding the fossil remains of, of what appears to be several different Homo species in modern-day Kenya. So so they've, they've had uh, several bits and pieces of various specimens that, that didn't seem to add up to a consistent single species, unless it was a, a species that showed a considerable... Uh, degree of, of diversity in morphology, more, more so than any known Homo species. 
So if, if the specimens do represent several different species, which ones did they represent and how many different species and that kind of thing? These were unanswered questions. But now a, a new paper published by Maeve Leakey and, and colleagues in Nature describes a new specimen discovered that seems to clarify the, the situation a little bit. So this new, spe this new specimen is given the romantic name of KNMER62000. What does R2D2 have to say about that? <laughs> Beep boop. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, okay, so, so KNMER62000 is a, a fairly well-preserved face of what appears to be a, a juvenile of the same species as another specimen that they had before, KNMER1470, which was just a piece of skull. And the consistency between these two specimens and their collective differences with the other specimens dating to a similar period have allowed Leakey to separate them into what appears to be two distinct homo species. That populated the area in the area in the time of 1.78 to 1.95 million years ago, so in the Pleistocene era, which is interesting. So, so uh, they've kind of narrowed it down to two species. And another interesting thing is that neither of these species is uh, Homo erectus, which is also known to be contemporary at that time. So, we huh. it seems likely that there were at least three different Homo species populating East Africa around that. Time. Didn't we talk about something similar to this on the last podcast? Yep. We talked about a genetic study that found that there must be a previously unknown species of Homo. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, up in North Africa and yeah. much later on. Okay. Yeah. So it, this just points to a really bushy Homo tree. It does. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. Well, homo tree is very bushy, Mike. <laughs> it's much bushier than we previously expected. Surprisingly bushy. Which is which is awesome because it just shows you how many humans they were. That's, that's true. That's really cool. And I liked that this picture is so complicated. Yeah. Because yep. that's exactly what you would expect. Exactly. And we're probably going to keep discovering new homos. Yeah. Or we're going to keep discovering new species of homo. Probably. For a long time to come. Let's nice. yeah. let's hope so. Yeah, bring them on. Let's such do a, it. Such a big pity these guys didn't survive. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, be bad for racism. We would have yeah. killed them anyway. Yeah. Well, we probably did. Well, fuck them and then kill them. We probably did. Yeah. Well, that's what we did with Neanderthals. Yeah. yeah. We did fuck them and then kill them. And the Denisovans. Probably. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Yeah. Maybe. It's highly likely. <laughs> probably <laughs> also, also Homo floresiensis. My, my gut tells me we killed them all. Uh, but we don't have evidence. Yeah, that's true. So, so there's a, another interesting angle here, and that comes from uh, the Lawn Chair Anthropology blog by Zachary Coffrin. And, and he, uh, he noted that there's a striking similarity between these new specimens and um, specimens of Australopithecus sediba. Hmm. Everybody drink. Uh, although he, he's very careful to say that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the same species. Sure. It, it is interesting that they bear such a strong resemblance. Um, Might be convergent evolution. Could be convergent or, or they, they could be really, really closely related. What are the similarities? Hmm. Um, it's it's much more technical than I can really understand, but it has to do with the particular slope of the brow and the slope of the chin and the height of the the the, the, the difference between the top lip and the nasal cavity. And, and oh, we sure we not just taking normal variation and inventing new species within what could just be variation of 
a single species. Well, that, that has been one of the criticisms leveled before um, when they had all these different specimens that, you know, that they were kind of postulating that each one represented a different homo species and other people said, no, they're all just homo erectus, but they're highly divergent. But, but this new specimen, because it bears such a strong resemblance to one of these other specimens, it does lend more support to the idea that this was an actual species that didn't have all that much variation. But we can't bear out, we can't rule out mm. the, the idea that it was just all homo erectus and it was just a really diverse species. Mm. Okay. We're going to need a lot more specimens. Yes. So yeah. keep digging, guys. So, so Leaky and team, go. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Cool. Awesome. So, yeah, that's good news. So more people that we killed. Possibly. So here is our sci-fi and fantasy quote of the week. And this one comes from, from Michael Meaden. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes from a comic book. This is our second quote from a comic. And it comes from All-Star Western number 11, which is written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. And it's said by the character Dr. Terrence 13. And it goes like this. Just because you cannot fathom the nature of a thing does not make that thing magic. Straight up. Indeed. Um, so he's basically refuting the argument from eggplants. Exactly. Which, cool. is, which is awesome. And it was something I was not expecting to find in a comic book. All right. Shall we move on to our announcements? We've got a lot of announcements this week. Okay. Yeah, we do. Do it. Do you want to start, Mike? I will start. In Johannesburg, there are a whole metric fuck ton of things happening in yeah. the next while. Yeah. And the first one is an open evening at the... Um, Sarstar, Royal Society of SA. What, where, where is oh, that? It, it's run by Sarstar and the Royal Society of SA, and it's going to be hosted at the Joe oh, Observatory. Okay, so it's an open evening on uh, the astrom astronomical history and sky viewing run by Sarstar and the Royal Society of South Africa. It's taking place Saturday, the 25th of August at 6 o'clock in the evening, and it's going to be taking place at the Johannesburg Observatory. Entrance is free. And there's a talk by Professor Francis Thackeray um, on some cool stuff. Yeah. And there's going to be a sky viewing uh, with a telescope, weather permitting. They had one uh, an event like this about a year ago, but it was clouded over and we couldn't see anything. So uh, assuming that the weather cooperates, we'll be able to use the telescope. And everybody's invited to bring a picnic and come through a little bit earlier because it's up on top of a hill and there's a nice view. You can sit there and have some nice food and look at the view and the sunset and that kind of thing. It's really cool. cool. Also bring binoculars. Apparently that's important. Okay. Yep. So you can see the stars when other people are using the telescope. Oh, yeah. Good idea. Good idea. Okay. So uh, we have another one, and that is a public talk, which is on the origin of mass, uh, the discovery of a Higgs-like boson, which is happening, mm. which is performed by the the Witz SA CERN team. It's going to be at, uh, at Witz University on Monday, the 27th of August. I love Six. scientists so much. Higgs-like boson. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty damn certain yeah. it's the Higgs, yeah. but let's just hedge your bet. Yeah. It reminds me of that um, story of um, Phoenix, mm. that water-like substance. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For weeks on be, end. You have to be cautious. You can't uh, make I, a statement unless you're sure. Yeah, I, I was saying I love scientists. <laughs> okay, and Skeptics in the Pub this month is taking place Wednesday, the 2nd of September. Well, okay. Skeptics in the Pub next month is taking place Wednesday, the 2nd of September at 7 o'clock at Green and Gold Pub. And where's that owned? It's in Rudaport. It's it's uh, it's right, right next to the 14th Avenue off ramp from the N1. But isn't it supposed to be skeptics in the pub Joburg? Um, yes. Rudaport's part of Joburg now, isn't it? No, it's not. Oh, who cares? 
It's <laughs> <laughs> close enough. <laughs> and the next one is the Royal Society of South Africa's Spring Science Showcase. Which mm, sounds, sounds exciting. It does, doesn't it? And, and it's happening on Sunday, the 9th of September. Uh, it starts at 2 in the afternoon and goes on until about 6.30 at the Delta Environmental Center in Blair Gowrie, Joburg. There's an entrance fee for this one. It's 120 rand for pers- per person or 70 rand if you're a student, a postdoc, or a scholar. And there's all kinds of talks and interesting stuff and snacks are included. It, our friend Adrian, Adrian Tiplady is going to be speaking among awesome. a whole bunch of other people. He's worth, seeing. He's worth 120 bucks just to listen to him talk. He's totally awesome. I saw him yep. again at, at uh, Scopex this year. He's really cool. Um, yeah. So and then the last... Which Scopex did you go to? Mine was totally boring. The one with all the talks. That sucked. I missed it. I spent all the days in the talk... All day in, in the talks and they were awesome. They were brilliant. Huh. You had two children to shepherd. You children to no, I didn't even, exactly sit and listen to people. I didn't even look at the stores. I just went straight to the auditorium and sat there all day and then left. Last, doing that next year. Yeah. Last year's talk sucked. Some you know, some of them last year were the terrible. one I listened to. Yeah, no, but there were a couple others that were really good. Okay. Anyway, the, the last announcement for Joburg is a talk by John Ostrowick, who I don't know who he is. I know him. Well, I went to school with his brothers, James, huh. James, Jeffrey, and Jason. Okay. And and not John, though. No, no he's much older than me. Okay. <laughs> and it's a talk on uh, whether evolution really threatens religion. And that's taking place on the 11th of September at six o'clock at the Origin Center at Wits University, so yeah. in town. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, our, our next set of announcements are for Cape Town, because uh, any interesting things that happen in South Africa are in Joburg and Cape Town. <laughs> there, there aren't any other cities, are there? No, no. There's just... Well, there's Bloemfontein, but that isn't a, that's no, not a city. it's not a city, no. It's just a town. Yeah. There's Durban, but that's really just a port with some houses around here. <laughs> Durban is awesome, I'll have you know. <laughs> Right, so the first announcement for Cape Town is Skeptics in the Pub, and that's happening on Friday the 24th of August at Belize Pub. And where's Belize Pub? It's in Cape Town. <laughs> the Western Cape. Well done, <laughs> I mean, Cape Town's not that big. I mean, there's only like four street corners. All right, and then there's uh, Open Night at the SAAO, and it's on Black Holes and Other Revelations by Dr. Vanessa McBride. And that's taking place Saturday, the 25th of August at 8 p.m. at the SAAO Auditorium. And that's the South African Astronomical Observatory. That sounds awesome. Can we go? Sure. Let's do it. Sweet. Let's do it, guys. Yeah, the third one is another Skeptics in the Pub. Jeez. (laughs) That's Friday, the 31st of August at 7 at a touch of madness. Oh, yeah, I remember they have dooning skeptics in the pub. In is this the real skeptics in the pub or the skeptical about skepticals in the pub, skeptically? Well, there's the, <laughs> there's the, <laughs> the, the one on the 24th is the one by, run by Jacques Rousseau. Okay. And then the one on the 31st is the one run by Jason Elric. Okay. So whichever one you prefer or both, head along. <laughs> I love the skeptical movement. <laughs> I wonder if they've got a. It's like Facebook. We have 27 South African skeptics groups on Facebook. <laughs> really? everyone, every one of them is the official one. And everyone has the same members. Yeah. Except really? ours. Ours is awesome. Ours is like four times bigger than everybody else. Yeah, ours is the best one. Because I started it. Nice one. Mm-hmm. Good job. Anyway, the last announcement you'll be very delighted to know, we shouldn't do so many damn announcements, <laughs> is an open night at SAAO. Another one. Indeed. And it's... Uh, the Radio Astronomy Revolution by Dr. Nadim Uzir from the SKA. I'm not sure if I said his surname correctly, but it's oh, double right. O Z W E R. 
and it's taking place Saturday the 8th of September at 8pm, again at the SAAO Auditorium in Cape Town. Awesome. Um, I'm guessing that's an observatory, right? <laughs> I actually don't know where it is. <laughs> because I know that the, the Johannesburg Observatory is an observatory. Just well, that would make sense. That, that's that's logical. Yeah, I mean, it's a coincidence, but, yeah. Anyway, shall we move swiftly along? Yes, yeah, Okay, so links of the week. Michael, do you have one for us? I do indeed. And mine is a, mine is a bit of a weird one, so bear with me. Um, And my link of the week is to Conservapedia. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bit weird, Mike. Hmm. And I'm not pointing you to Conservapedia for you to believe things being written at Conservapedia. Hmm. I've known about so if you don't know what conservatorium is, it's essentially it's an American, very Tea Party-ish crackpot, right-wing Wikipedia clone for crazy people essentially. Mm-hmm. And I've known about this site for it must be five years, six years now. I've been sort of occasionally going to it and and laughing at the dumb arguments being made and the crazy, tendentious articles and and whatnot. But I looked today during my lunch break. I was looking at it, and it really has evolved to like time cube esque wow. proportions. It's, it really has become like time cube. Like, go to its series of articles on atheism, all about how atheism, w- women don't like atheism, and <laughs> a- atheism makes you fat. And <laughs> well. <laughs> and and they have things like a, a photo. They they have like to illustrate this article about how atheism makes you fat. There's a picture of P.Z. Myers, and it's like P.Z. Myers at a skeptical event showing prominent abdominal fat, <laughs> <laughs> and like deeply baffling things like wow. atheists say the darnest things. It, literally, this is an encyclopedia meant to be, wow. and it's an article, and it's like a picture with like. You know those those funny animal pictures, and a dog is pulling a funny face, and it's like <laughs> it's illustrated with that, and it, it's really baffling. You must awesome. re- really just go go read a few of the, the atheists. They all link together, and they all have exactly the same information. And they're like, according to an article in by the you know World Christian Society, the Number of Christians increased by 80,000 a minute. <laughs> Atheists are decreasing by 70 an hour. And there are 50 fewer move Muslims an hour. And like these baffling things. And they're wow. like, oh, I don't know. Go look at it. It really needs to be experienced for the amount of mental health problems <laughs> clearly driving the site. Awesome. It's it's fun fun times to be had by all. Nice. Never argue with them, though. No, no, no. Don't don't comment on this. <laughs> just, just go there and lull, and then go away. It, Post it, the good stuff on Google Plus for us. It's it's really started starting to become almost as funny as Encyclopedia Dramatica. Awesome, like almost, but not, not quite, but almost. <laughs> All right, Angela, do you have a link for us? I certainly do. What is your link? My link this week is to an info slash dot net thing. <laughs> no, not that. Don't do it. An info information. Yes, <laughs> do some information. <laughs> oh, I'm calling it a damn word anyway. In- infographic. It's, it's infographic. Thank you. To well, an infographic done. about um, what's called snake oil, oh. and it is a very nice user friendly 
um, visual aid to determining whether or not your preferred supplement is actually any good. Ah, so it's really cool. What do you take in the morning, Owen? Do you take aloe vera? No, I take coffee in the morning. Coffee, that's not on the list. Ah. But uh, so it's very nicely worked out between popularity of substances such as green tea and mm-hmm. fish oil and goji berries and ginseng and acai berries and all that stuff. Mm. Acai berries? Acai berries, yeah. Mm. I thought, like, isn't it pronounced acai berry? Who knows? That's what people in California drink at breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, it gives you basically a breakdown of whether or not the evidence for these popular health supplements is strong, awesome. good, promising, conflicting, slight, or none at all. Excellent. Um, and then it's got a worth it line as well, so you can sort of tell if it's above the line it's worth taking for whatever, if it's below the line it's not worth taking. Nice. Very nice. I like but it. I was a bit dis- surprised to see the stuff with, um, what is it, vitamin A and B, the evidence for that? Yeah, is? vitamin A, the evidence is essentially non-existent. Hmm. That's it's right down at the bottom of the list. That's very interesting. Vitamin the, E as well. The one distinction I, I wish they'd make there is lack of evidence versus evidence against. Mm, yeah. So so some things we just haven't studied and therefore it's like it could be it, we don't know. Right, Other yeah. things we've studied and there's we, no effect. Yeah, we know it's bad. Well, I mean... It, or, or we know there's no or effect, species, like homeopathy. Yeah. Well, like vitamin A, I, I know is, is uh, if you have a, an overdose of vitamin A, it can lead to your skin falling off and shit like that. It's really, really bad. And, and of course, we, we should also point out this is for people who are not suffering from particular diseases. So, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so if you've got a particular disease... orally by a healthy adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the source of this is PubMed and Cochrane. Oh, cool. So it's not okay. sucked out of someone's thumb. It's actually properly sourced. They've source. only used human randomized placebo-controlled trials nice. to draw nice. up this graph. So it is properly done. It's not bullshit. Excellent. That's good news. It doesn't have everything on it, but it's pretty good. No, it's pretty comprehensive. It yeah. looks like that took someone a good few weeks to do. Absolutely. A good few months, maybe. Mm. So, good work. Awesome person. Thanks, Angela. You're welcome. Owen, do you have a link? And no, you can't link to pictures of hot girls dressed as Star Trek characters. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh, it's very skeptical now my link of the week relates back to my quote and it is about dr terence 13 who is a skeptical superhero who i've just discovered this week and he's freaking awesome and amazing and i love him he's fantastic. Mm. so my link is to the uh the article about dr 13 on the the dc comics website which links all the most prominent appearances where, where you can go and find the comics you can uh, buy the comics from dc online and read them because they're really cool i, I particularly especially recommend the current story arc that is in all star western really good stuff cool you're such a nerd man. yes awesome yes, i am yeah apparently dr 13 goes dates back to like 1951 i hadn't come across him until last week and i think he's amazing i've also never heard it's of because he doesn't have a cool name if he was like 13 man he would be popular yeah, maybe. Like Spider-Man and Superman and yeah. Batman. Well, it's because he, he doesn't wear a cape. I think that's the thing. Yeah, that, no, not does Spider-Man. He doesn't have a utility belt either. He just wears mm-hmm. a lab coat and glasses. Nor does he jizz out of his arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, um, like Jizz Man. <laughs> <laughs> the stickiest superhero of them all. <laughs> okay, well, Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Google Plus. Yes. Angela, we can people find you on the internet. On meeting.co.za. Awesome. And you can find all of my stuff at owenswat.org. Cool. Thanks, Owen. My pleasure.
Well, that's all we have for you this week. Thanks to my co-hosts and to you, the listeners. Be sure to join us again next week for more Consilience. You have been listening to Consilience. Our website is conciliencecast.wordpress.com and you can send us an email consiliencecast at gmail.com Theme music is The Optimist by Zoe Keating from freemusicarchive.org